This is National Tea Time. Yes, God, everybody, this is Laura O'Shaughnessy. I am your host for National Tea Time. Today, my very special guest is none other than the absolutely marvelous Bella Nicole Harlow. How are you, Bella? I'm doing so well. How are you? I am doing just as bad as good as anybody else in the world is doing at the moment. (laughs) Then you're doing pretty good. Right. Absolutely. So tell us a bit about yourself. Oh, let's see. Well, I currently live in a little town between Cincinnati and Dayton called Monroe, Ohio. And I've been here for, oh my God, probably like 15, 16 years. And I've been doing drag for almost seven or eight. I've lost count. And basically just been having a good time, entertaining, performing. I was a performer before I got into drag. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah. I actually was a professional opera singer. What? For about 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes. You know, yeah, I, I traveled around the world, mostly in German-speaking countries, mm-hmm. and uh, worked uh, after you know during school with the school, and did, sang opera for quite a long time. And actually, I'm getting back into it now after a very long hiatus. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm kind of artsy. I think I'm one of the few Southerners who really love opera. Oh, well, that's good. Southerners I'm don't a Southerner care for too, opera. So. Oh, really? Oh. No, I, you know what? I think it's kind of a, like a secret thing. Like everybody says they don't oh, like yeah. opera, especially in the South. But then they get there and like, oh, it's my favorite thing. Oh, and absolutely. Like, oh, that was opera. <laughs> absolutely. And it doesn't surprise me that you travel more in German speaking countries because a lot of your most famous operas are in German or Latin. Uh, yep. Uh, German, Italian, French. Yeah, all of that good stuff. But yeah, I actually was a German uh, language specialist. I specialized in German romantic opera, and that's why I was in. I spent a lot of time in Austria, actually, when I was oh, performing. Austria, yes. Uh, but always wanted yeah. to go there. Oh, my gosh. So beautiful. My grandmother went, and it was... Really? She went on a river cruise one time with my great-grandmother, and they went through mm-hmm. Austria, and she said it was the most beautiful, stunning place she's ever been. Oh, it is so gorgeous. And let me tell you, it will ruin you, ruin you for coffee. Like, if you have coffee in Austria and then you come back to the States, nothing tastes the same. Really? Just, it makes you mad. So, yeah. The, the coffee, they have these little cafes that are just spectacular. And nobody thinks anything of it. And I'm drinking this, like, this is the most magical stuff I've ever had. And then I get back to the States. I'm like, nothing tastes the same. Why? See, now <laughs> I want to know if there's, like, drag shows in Austria. Just so I can get oh, booked yeah, there. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. There's totally drag. There's, the drag scene in Europe is pretty fantastic. And it's very different than the American drag scene. I highly suggest if you ever make it over across the pond to check out the clubs there, especially in Berlin. Well, I was in Graz. Vienna probably has like several Ooh, drag yeah. clubs and stuff. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool place. What actually got you interested in drag then? I was friends with a lot of drag queens from the uh, court system. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the the uh, international court system. It's kind of a international charity system made up of drag queens and kings yeah i think i've heard of it i don't know much about it but i definitely have heard of it it's actually one of the second longest running lgbtqia all that stuff charity 
system hmm, in the world. Yeah, yeah. So and they raise money all over doing drag shows one dollar at a time. And I have a lot of friends who are drag queens who are highly involved in the court of Cincinnati. And one day, one of them messaged me, and she was like, hey, girl, uh, we're going to do this fundraiser. Uh, can you help us? I was like, ah, absolutely. What, what can I do? She said, we are going to dress cisgender females up like drag queens, make them lip sync, and all the dollars that they collect go to charity. For, and at the time, it was for uh, breast cancer, mm-hmm. um, for the YWCA breast cancer stuff. And I said, oh, sure, I'll do it. You know, that sounds like fun. I had never done it before, and I would hang out with drag queens. I went to drag shows all the time. I hung out in the scene, but I never actually tried to get up and drag. Right. I love kings. I make the world's ugliest boy. <laughs> so I tried. <laughs> oh, I look like I look like old, nearly dead Marlon Brando. Like no. the fat one. Not the, not the good one. No, it's bad. It's bad. It's so bad. And I, you know, I apologize to every great king every king that is out there because I wanted to be one of you. But <laughs> I just, I looked in the mirror and went, Oh God, no, I can't. So I never thought that cisgender girls could do femme drag. And so they dressed me up. I had no idea what I was doing. It was awful. I didn't even pin my wig in. My wig fell off. I oh, looked no. like, the, oh, oh, I was a nightmare. But I raised the most money that night, which was so funny. And I, got crowned that night, Miss Drag You Out, because that was the name of the charity mm-hmm. that we were at the fundraising event. And it actually became, and still runs, this was six, seven years ago, it is the longest running fundraiser that we've had in Cincinnati. We've raised hundreds and thousands of dollars for breast cancer and, and women's research through the court system. And it has spawned all kinds of stem drag in the Cincinnati area. Wow. And has kind of spread across the nation. And that was my first experience with being a drag queen through that charitable event. And if you dig deep enough into my Facebook, you will see pictures from that event. Oh, don't and tempt me. it is me. terrifying. Don't tempt me, because I <laughs> will. I've got them buried, but they are there. <laughs> if I look real bad. <laughs> Everybody, when this airs, go to Bella Nicole Harlow's Facebook. I will put her Facebook link in the bio. And we're going to yes. find these photos. <laughs> find the photos, please do. Because I, I love I love showing them to people because people always think, oh, you just came out of the womb knowing what to do. I love to show them pictures from that time and, you know, go, look, I knew nothing. I, I, I knew nothing. That's my favorite line from any drag performer, though. Mm-hmm. You get some of these drag performers sometimes who think they're all that in a bag of chips and they've only been doing drag the one time their sister put makeup on them. And they're like, oh, my God, I'm so fish. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Sorry, Girl, I sweetheart. I was the opposite of fish. That's the funny part. I, <laughs> even in those drag pictures, my very good friend, Harley Rains, was the first person to ever put me in drag. And I must have looked, I looked like a very scary dude who decided to put on some makeup. And I'm like, how do I look this masculine? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm a girl. I don't know how this happened. But I had such a good time. (laughs) I really feel like there's something about when a a femme queen first starts out that they try to do what a cisgendered male would do in drag. Yes. (laughs) Let's be completely honest. When it comes to femme drag and cisgendered male drag, they're completely different. Well, yeah. 
I mean, they're, they're so similar, but they're also completely different. Very and that. The thing is, you learn what you know. Absolutely. The second person to ever put me in drag, very good friend of mine, you might know her from Drag Race, Mystique Summers. Oh, okay. And, yeah, she she was in Cincinnati, and she kind of took me under her wing at first, after I did my first drag performance. And she was the first one to give me a makeup lesson. Huh. And for a long time, I painted like Mystique. Well, obviously, we are different uh, face types, uh, skin types, ethnicities. Right, right. <laughs> so I painted in such a way that is very different than the way I painted today. But for a long time, I painted the way I was taught. And she was the kindest person because she taught me how to block my brows. She taught me how to do all kinds of different highlighting. And then I went to a whole bunch of drag queens that I admired greatly mm-hmm. and asked them for a lesson. I wouldn't take up all their time. I would you know, offer to dress them backstage for shows. And then I would ask them like one particular question, like, how did you get your brow to lay down? Or how did you do your eyeliner? Or how did you put on your eye- your eyelashes? And that's and the key to drag. they would take you know, five minutes and show me. That's yeah, the That's the key to drag. Ask. Do not be afraid to ask. And honestly, I haven't known a single queen to ever say, I'm not going to teach you that. Oh, no. Absolutely not. Because they, they know, for one, Never. that if they say that, it's going to get around. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's be it's honest. Not, not, to be, not to be nice. <laughs> Absolutely. Why did you choose to compete for Miss Gay USA Diva? That is a great question. I actually got started with Miss USA Diva back when I first did those charity shows. I would take every opportunity I had to start performing. So I was going to be at these charity shows anyway. I would raise money. And then eventually the bar owners that we would perform at would ask me if I wanted to fill in when a drag queen dropped out. And I would do hot spots and I would do open stages. And eventually, I just couldn't get enough of it. I just loved it so much. Well, my friend Mystique came to me. I remember very clearly, at, you know, I was at Cabaret mm-hmm. in downtown Cincinnati, getting ready to do another hot spot. And she said, hey, they're starting a new division for US of A to do them pageantry. They call it Diva pageant. Right. And I said, what is that? What are you talking about? And Mystique was like, you should try it. You should look this up. So I looked it up. Here's my dumb butt. Okay. You're going to laugh so hard. I knew nothing about pageanting. Mm-hmm. Not, not one. But I looked at my calendar and said, ah, I'm free that Saturday. I'll do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I did not know. So, you had no clue so what you were getting yourself into. Oh, no. No, I did not. So I went down. I, I, I got something right. I got something cute together. There were no prelims at the time because this was right. very first, very first US of A Diva. So I didn't even know what a prelim was. So I just, I was like, I'm free on the 25th. Let's try it. So I, I rolled up into, it was held in Nashville mm-hmm. that year. And I rolled up um, with, you know, my stuff. I looked at the packet. I was like, okay, I made some stuff. I was like, sure, why not? I rolled up. There were, I was one of eight girls to compete. And when I saw those girls getting ready, I didn't even have a dresser. I was dressing myself. I painted myself. Oh, oh, I was real dumb. I rolled up. I watched everyone else like unpack gowns and get all these props. And I turned to my partner at the time and said, I think I misunderstood the assignment. (laughs) 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 Oh, this is not like a drag show. Because that's the way you know, described it to me. She said, oh, it's just a drag show. And then they give you more money at the end. I was like, I could do that. I get there, I start competing, and at the time, they had not really seen femme entertainers 
like me. Right. We've met. I'm a big girl. I'm tall. I'm very round. I'm, I'm a plus size girl. And I was brought up by drag queens. Right. So I roll up with my brows blocked and up on my forehead and this big hair and yes. jewelry I bought. I like everything is just, I looked like a man. Just <laughs> drag. Just <laughs> drag with my seven pairs of 301s stacked on yes. top of each other and my, my garage door, you know, um, eyeshadow and all that stuff. So, and the rest of these girls were so beautiful and so femme and so I was, I think I was the only one that wore lashes practically that year, except for one other girl. I remember very clearly when we were competing and I got up into my evening gown and my evening gown didn't look like anybody else's. And I did, I had a topper because Mystique told me I had to have a topper. So I got a oh, topper so she told, to put on my she head. She told you to put a topper on your head, but didn't tell you about anything yes. else. Rude. No, she was just like, <laughs> just look drag. Just look drag. You'll be fine. Everybody else had used their natural hair. I had a topper. I had fake hair. I had fake everything. And I remember when I came out for evening gown, and bless her heart, Taj Mahal was the, rest in peace, Tajma, she was the announcer. Mm-hmm. And when I came out, she went, oh, wait, now the drag queens are here. Oh. <laughs> and I was the only one that was dressed like that. And I remember people looking at me sideways going, why is she dressed like that? Why are you, you do too much? You're too much. And that was fine. I knew I was too much. I misunderstood the assignment, but I did it anyway. I just continued to compete, and I had a great time. Right. And those eight girls were fantastic. They were so varied and diverse and talented, and I had a wonderful time. And I didn't win, and that was okay. I remember my name was not called. They called for a winner, and they also called for first alternate. And uh, I remember standing up there on stage, and I was a little disappointed, but between you and me, I knew I didn't know what I was doing. And I was okay with that. It was a huge learning curve. Right. I made friends, and I had a great time. Funny story. The next day, they posted the score sheet, and I'm adding up my scores. And I went, wait a second. I think I'm second alternate. Oh. And I looked at the drag. I looked at the scores, and I went to the owner of the pageant. She went, oh, yeah, you were second alternate, but we didn't announce you because we didn't have a plaque for you. Here's $250. Uh- so, girl, check your score sheet. Because if I didn't ask, I wouldn't have gotten paid. Wait a minute. <laughs> How many pageants have I done? Wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first time I went through. I had no idea I had even made second alternate until I had gotten my score sheet at breakfast the next day. That's no, everything. but they didn't announce it. I know. And honestly, you know, I'm sure they would have sent me a check. Oh, but I'm sure. it was because I I looked at it and I went, I think is it is this right? Because I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, I think I'm doing my mouth right. I'm not that smart, but I can add. So <laughs> it looks like I got second alternate. And that means money. Very <laughs> that. Very that. <laughs> just give me the money. Yeah. I don't need a plaque. I just need the money. <laughs> I don't know. It's fine. It's fine. You can keep um, the plaque. So, yeah, Save the trees. That was, that was my first. Exactly. <laughs> and that was my first experience with drag pageantry. And that was the year that Brandy Amara Sky mm-hmm. won. And she was so amazing. And Q-Tip from Nashville also took first alternate. And she is incredible. And she and I are friends to this day. I mean, I Brandy and I, I too. Um, oh, my God. Girl, I think she's maybe she's reigning Miss Duval or has just stepped down. Q-tip? I'm not sure. She's done everything. Yeah, Q-Tip. Hmm. I have to look her yeah, up. Look her up. She's so beautiful and so talented. All, 
all those girls. But those original eight girls, um, we had a great time together. So the next year, because I was second alternate, I had a free entry. Oh, yeah, that's right. Basically, any prelim I want to go to. Yes. And I went, well, hell, I'll do it again. When's the... <laughs> I'm sure I'll have that weekend free. Let's, <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Uh, but in the meantime, I decided to apply what I learned from opera mm-hmm. and practice. So I started practicing by preparing for some smaller prelim, like other systems mm-hmm. that they're like local ones, like a state pageant. So the, I went to this uh, particular pageant called Platinum Gem City Femme, and I ended up winning hmm. that one. And I prepared better for it. Strangely enough, funny story, Q-Tip, who made first alternate, and myself were the two competitors. Oh, wow. So we met up again and competed. And while we were competing against each other, it was fantastic because it was competitive, but it was also very sisterly. We had a great time. And I did that pageant in preparation for getting ready for the next Miss U.S. of Adina. And that was back in 2015 mm-hmm. that I ran a second time, and I actually won that year. So, and there were, I think there was like 16 or 18 girls that next year. That's everything. So yes. We went from eight to, to pretty much double. Right. So yeah. It, yeah. It, was, it was incredible. And that was an incredible experience to run a second time, because that time it was in Oklahoma City. We had moved the, the pageant back to Oklahoma City. Right. What was your thought process of picking your prelim to nationals? Uh, that's a great question. The thought process was, honestly, because they went from having zero prelims in an open competition. It was an open competition the, the second year. Right. However, there were five prelims that you could attend, or you could just go straight to nationals. Well, my logical practice in mind went, girl, you need to do a prelim so you can do this right. You want to be able to represent and gather as much support as possible. Right. I'm not saying if you go straight to national, you wouldn't have support. But for me, I needed to have that feedback from judges at a preliminary level so that I could take my package and polish it right. at a national level. Right. If that makes I hope that makes sense. Oh, that makes completely sense. Cause uh, I, that's something I do. Yeah. I, that's why I like picking a prelim. What's the best yeah. prelim that's going to fit me? And then taking all those critiques and using them to better mm-hmm. yourself absolutely and so then i chose missouri mm-hmm. um that was one of five prelims and, and to be very honest um it was location that was actually the, the closest uh prelim that was to me right uh, that dealt with that was the closest in proximity i'm in ohio that's i mean it's like a well, like seven hour drive it was the closest the those promoters fantastic people and they just had a very strong community there, and they were starting a real good, they had a real strong team community, mm-hmm. and so they were bringing on a lot of femme drag, and so they were trying to build a femme community there as well, right. the diva community. So I decided to go there. Plus, I'm from Arkansas originally. Oh, I didn't know that. So I figured that's pretty, yeah, um, that's why I said I'm Southern. So oh. yeah, I'm from Fayetteville, Arkansas oh. originally. Mm-hmm. Yes, born and raised. Wow. So... Yeah, so basically, that was closer to my home, mm-hmm. and that's why I chose to, to do a prelim there. And I ended up winning that prelim, mm-hmm. and I had wonderful support from my promoters, and then, you know, of course, went to nationals. Let's get into nationals. As many of my listeners may or may not know, when it comes to US of A, Diva, MI, and MI Classic, they're all done separately separate nights well 
what last year they had Diva and MI the same nights, didn't they? Um, I believe they did. They kind of mixed them up. Together. Yeah, but normally they all they all have their separate nights. With mm-hmm. am I going? Yeah. Am I classic going first? And then they start out with. Kind of depends. Um, sometimes they start out with Diva. Sometimes they start out with MI. But mm-hmm. it's a fabulous pageant. I've loved the two times I've gone oh, so yeah. far. Uh, I will be going for the next one as well. Yay. So you've done the interviews. You've done preliminary evening gown competition and preliminary talent. Mm -hmm. They start announcing the top 12. And they announce you as part of the top 12. (laughs) What's going on inside your mind when they announce that you have made top 12? Well, I'll tell you. First off, I was terrified out of my pants because I wasn't announced until the very last Oh, I hate when they do that. (laughs) Oh, and I was not happy. I bet you weren't. (laughs) I will say. Uh, (laughs) um, I was, I felt like I did really well. You know, it was funny because I changed my talent. I did a comedy talent for my prelim talent, Mm -hmm. prelim night talent, and I had not sung yet. That was going to be my final night talent. So nobody really had heard me sing unless they had gone to that Platinum Gem City pageant. So I really wanted to sing for people, but I saved it for final night. Right. And I'm sitting there, and they're announcing, you know, the, the 10th contestant, the 11th contestant. And I'm standing there, and it was an Alice in Wonderland theme. So I'm standing here in this big old, I decided to be, everybody else is like sexy rabbits. Of and, course, of you course. Know, good-looking Chester cats. You know what my decided to be? Please say the Queen of Hearts. The Caterpillar. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I live. I am standing there. I always come up with these ideas and I execute them. And I'm like, you're an idiot, but let's go with it. So I'm, I have this six foot long tail made of big old styrofoam balls. And I've got a big dreadlocked wig and I'm holding a hookah pipe. And I'm standing there. And you have to realize, girl, I'm one of the most like, I don't drink. I don't smoke, but I'm sitting there looking like the biggest stoner caterpillar <laughs> ever. And I'm like, I'm not even going to get called. And my mom is going to, my mom's going to be like, well, what were you wearing? I didn't see any pictures. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm, like I'm going to look like such an idiot. Cause I tried so hard and I don't even look super cute for this moment where they're going to snap pictures of the, the non-finishing finalists. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm standing there. And they finally call my name, and I swear I almost cried. I really did. Whether I won or lost, at that point, all I wanted to do was sing. Right. I just wanted to do my talent. And if they liked it, they liked it. They didn't like it, they didn't like it. It's okay. But I didn't want to leave there without giving every little bit of what I had brought to give. Right. So that's probably the most, the biggest thing that was going through my mind is I just wanted to give that last bit of me and have that opportunity to do so. Now, what did you sing for talent? I did what has become what something I've been really known for is my Madam Butterfly talent. I did a scene from Madam Butterfly by Puccini, and I had two professional ballet dancers that did a free-form modern dance routine behind me. Mm -hmm. And I had a bench. I had these light-up lanterns. And basically, they did a like interpretive dance behind me. And because I was told, and the reason I did that is I was told I had to have dancers to win U.S. of A. 
<laughs> but if you know me, I'm not a dancer. <laughs> so I was like, how the hell am I going to work dancers in? There's no dancers in the opera. I will say, <laughs> I hate that is said a lot about U.S. of A. Because uh-huh. it's been proven you don't need dancers to do no, well at U.S. of A. Look at Vanity St. James. Yes, correct. When she was U.S. of A newcomer. Exactly, exactly. First year, first try. She hadn't even been doing drag. Yep, and, and it's funny, yeah. For six months when she won. And she went out there yep. it, with her cello. And she yep. did the solo and I talent. loved that about her. And that's the thing. She and I bonded over that because we're both classically trained right. musicians. And we had to figure out how to translate that talent into something that became drag. Right, absolutely. And... From the sounds of it, you made it work. (laughs) (laughs) It did. It worked really well. And honestly, the quote-unquote worst critique of my talent was they didn't even want to look at the dancers because they were so focused on what I was doing. So I feel like I should have trusted myself a little better and probably saved some money. But I loved my dancers. I don't care. They were great. I mean, it worked out in your favor (laughs) either way. Heck yeah. That's basically what I ended up doing. And honestly, I took that talent, cut the dancers, and that's what I also use for EOY when I want EOY Femme. Yeah. Um, I use that same talent. So they're announcing the second runner up, first runner up. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And you just stay in there, all the pressure and nervousness. What is going through mm-hmm. your mind? Well, it was funny because. <laughs> Instead of announcing the category winners, they said, we're going to go straight into placement. Oh. So I said to myself, well, heck, probably a little worse than that. I'm probably trying to keep it clean. I'm a big cutter. I apologize. Same. <laughs> uh, uh, fill in your own curse word. I was like, what does that mean? And so they went into placements immediately. They didn't announce any category winners. And so they announced second runner-up. And then they announced first runner-up. And I'm adding it up in my head. And I'm like... But I did really well, I thought. Right. <laughs> I'm always one to be very highly critical of myself. So I'm always reviewing in my head what I could have done differently, what I could have done. And I, at that point, you know, it was just down to the little things. And I'm like, well, I guess, you know, I guess I didn't do well enough to even win a category, not realizing what that meant. Right. Then they announced, and the winner of every category, interview, evening wear and talent and the winner of our competition is and then they announced my name and i was blown away i was absolutely blown away what were you actually thinking when they called your name don't fall down (laughs) because if you know me my i have gigantic feet and they hurt all the time and so i'm wearing these little like pay less wonders yes so (laughs) and i'm already really tall and as you know, a lot of the kings are on the shorter side. Yeah. And they're wanting me to kneel down and sit on their lap, which I'm not going to do because I don't want to break my king on my first day of being. <laughs> she was the baby, but I don't want to break their leg. And they're like, get lower, get lower. So I'm in a squat, holding a squat, trying to let poor Brandy Amara Sky crown me. And she's like four foot nothing. Right. And in drag, I'm close to six feet tall. <laughs> so I'm trying so hard not to fall down because my knees are shaking. My dress is probably at this point too long for me because I'm slouching or whatever and I'm getting crowned and I don't even feel them stabbing the holes in my head. Oh. So it was great. That crown is super heavy. Oh yeah. So, I've, heard, I've heard that thing is not very easy to wear. 
it is a beast. In that moment, I did not want to fall down and ruin any pictures. And I also was trying not to cry because, honestly, I knew those pictures were going to be around for a while. Yeah. So I didn't want my, my makeup. I'm an ugly crier. So I didn't want my makeup because... Those are the best drag photos, I swear. They're simultaneously the best and the worst. And the worst. (laughs) Right. Like, no, you are lying to yourself. And I said this in the last podcast. You are lying to yourself if your crowning pictures are fantastic. Because they're not. (laughs) Right. 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 No, they look terrible. And your crown's got to be crooked because your head's falling off. Oh, yeah. All of it. Hair's coming off. Yeah. Makeup's running down your face. (laughs) I'm sorry. There's no pretty. There is no pretty. Actually, that's a lie. I've seen some continental photos come out beautiful when they're getting crowned. That's true. But that's continental. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. They're a class all their own. Very. You know, no no shade at all. They are incredibly poised no matter what. Oh, yeah. So I am not poised. I am the goofiest of everything. So I knew that I was going to mess everything up. That's why we love you. I am. Aw, thanks. So during your reign, after you were crowned and everything, what were some of the things that changed about your life from that moment? Um, I became a lot more popular. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as you do. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I'm not going to lie. A lot of people wanted to be my friend. I got to know a lot more people across the nation. I got to learn how to work with promoters. Mm -hmm. But I also learned how to stand up for myself. And I took cues from the amazing Jenna Sky, who was reigning Miss USA that at mm-hmm. that time. Miss Danielle DeLong, who was the Miss USA at large at the time, became one of my, and still is, one of my best friends. They both taught me how to negotiate a fee, especially when I was negotiating with clubs that weren't part of, like, the prelim circuit. Right. So, like, when clubs would say, hey, we want you to perform here, and I'm used to doing hot spots at this point. And they're like, what's your fee? I'm like, I don't know. Uh- <laughs> 20 bucks? That's what I have been getting paid. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you sure you want me? I'm a girl. Learn how to value myself as an entertainer. That was a huge lesson for me. And it's one that I carry with me to this day on how to work with, with bars and, and venues and how to negotiate contracts and how to know my worth as an entertainer. And that has been really valuable. And also, um, you know, how to work with promoters and create prelims. Mm-hmm how to sell the brand of us of a so you basically had to learn everything within your year oh yeah I, you didn't have the knowledge before yeah because my year was the first year correct we went from being an open system to a closed system my year mm-hmm. of rain and so i knew going out the gate that i had to sell as many prelims as possible right. because i wanted to give as many girls as possible opportunities I didn't want them to have to drive seven hours to get to one of five. Right. I didn't want them to go through that. And during the course of my year, I was able to build on the great foundation that Brandy had set. And I ended up having, I believe, 15 prelims. Wow. We went from five to 15. Yes. We had 22 girls actually compete. I had 29 qualify. Jeez. So I was delighted with that. That's fantastic. We had prelims in places that we had never expected to have prelims. And I owe that to the incredible promoter structure at US of A. Right. Because they were very, very open to embracing other divisions of US of A. So I would go to somebody who had, they had a regular Miss Plus and, uh, 
and classic division on the drag queen side, then I would basically talk them into getting a diva prelim. I would think it would be easier to get promoters to take on another prelim if they already are promoting other pageants. Precisely. That's that's the low-hanging fruit. That's what I always tell other title holders and other systems. If they ever have questions about how to sell a prelim, I said, you you need to network amongst your existing promoters. Oh, yeah. And then from there, branch out. It's also interesting to see the promoter to drag queen ratio. How many promoters Mm -hmm. who are also drag entertainers. Yes. Yes. And who aren't. I honestly think there are probably more promoters who are not drag entertainers than there are promoters who are drag entertainers. That's been my experience. I think you're right. I think the ratio is probably like Mm 70-30. Just because... Basically, I think there's like too many hats sometimes that a drag queen has to wear if she is promoting and trying to perform right. and trying to run. So they, you know, and there's nothing wrong with no, all, not. all of it. But I think that's where partnerships come in, you know, and if that usually I feel like promoting partnerships. Some of the best promoters I've actually had promote me is Valentino and Victoria Rios. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Val has his own show. I love Val and Victoria. Victoria's on show yeah. with us at Discovery. Mm-hmm. Val works full-time. Mm-hmm. They both work tremendously in drag, especially here in Arkansas. Yep. And with the US of A, MI, and MI Classic. And newcomer now. Yeah, they're fantastic oh, people. Oh, they really are. They're some of my they're great. favorite people to be around. I love you, Val and Victoria. (laughs) Me too. I love you guys. If y'all ever listen to this. (laughs) What were some of the actual obstacles that you had to face when it came to like your personal life and drag? And how did you overcome those obstacles? That's a great question. I would say probably one of the biggest obstacles is balance. Um, I had to learn when to take off the title holder hat and then just be my... I dare say, like, real self mm-hmm. at home. I think that that really made a struggle for me at first. I wanted to be working. I wanted to be enthusiastic and work all the time. And I didn't establish at first, like, office hours. So anybody could get a hold of me at any time. And it did significantly damage the relationships I had because I wasn't able to not be Bella, Right. if that makes sense. I was always on, I was always, you messaged me at 2 a.m., my phone went off, and I felt like I needed to answer right away. Everything was an emergency. And I learned to stand up for myself a little bit more and establish some boundaries, which has been really helpful since I stepped down. And, um, and when I reigned for EOI, it was a lot easier because I was able to go, you know what, I will answer that question tomorrow. Absolutely. Or I will deal with that issue tomorrow. And if it was a true emergency, of course I would oh, yeah. be there. But asking, you know, what color should I do this? That can wait sometimes. Oh, yeah. Sometimes. Absolutely. <laughs> I always think that, it, you know, it's really important to understand balance and boundaries and to realize that you have a real life outside of drag and also um, save money. <laughs> that Very. was the biggest thing I need. I had to learn how to do is that I had to make sure that my actual life out of drag was sustainable and that Bella didn't take all my money (laughs) I know that I know that struggle I know that struggle all too well (laughs) and I think a lot of drag queens do a lot of drag entertainers do yeah it's important to have a business plan and a plan because as especially for USMA 
uh, you're traveling probably every month for like nine months. Absolutely. And it's very hard to hold down a regular job. At the time, I owned my own business, so I was good and flexible, but it could really damage you if you didn't have a good business plan going into your reign. Right. Of savings, of, you know, how am I going to pay my bills when I'm not going to be home? Interesting, yeah. I think the smart way to do that is for anybody who wants to get into pageantry and then one day we hope to become a national title holder, and this is something I'm about to give myself advice as well, um, make sure you save money for both, for both your drag yes. and your personal life. I think that would absolutely be absolutely helpful when it comes to be your time to be a title holder. That's absolutely really important. I really do believe that is important. Pay your bills first. You can't stone in the dark. Absolutely. And that goes along with drag queens who do perform full-time. They have personal lives. So I think it's really a good idea to have some sort of savings when you go into a pageant. Absolutely. And when people say, oh, I I spent my last dime to get me to this pageant, I hate to say it, but I I usually advise them, if you're spending your last dime and you're not going to win and that's going to break you, then you need to maybe wait. Uh, I don't want to lose them as a contestant. But I don't want to lose you as a person because you're going to lose your house because you didn't take first. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wish someone would have told me that about two years ago. <laughs> yeah. And it's a hard it's a hard thing because you want to win so badly. You want to do this thing so badly. You have to be able to take care of your real self. Otherwise, your drag self is not going to have anything to have its support. Absolutely. That brings me into another question. What was your... support system like while you were reigning? I had a great support system. I'm not going to lie. I was very spoiled. I had a great circle of friends and family, and my partner was very supportive. I will say, like, it it was difficult because I really wasn't around a lot. But at the time, I was able to travel, and my mom especially, and my drag mom especially, were both very, very supportive. Mm -hmm of what I was doing. My drag mom, you might know her, Bianca Nicole from Louisville, Kentucky. I do believe I do know her. She is my drag mother, and she was very, very supportive during my reign. She was a uh, Miss EOI of 2009. Mm -hmm. So she had already had experience with a national title. So she helped me, of course, Danielle DeLong and, you know, Celeste Holmes and my wonderful drag queen, Candy Stratton. They really surrounded me and gave me a lot of advice, a lot of support, a lot of, hey, I don't know how to stand up for myself or I don't know who to talk to. Who do I talk to about getting a prelim in, you know, I don't know, Iowa? Who do I talk to? And they say, you know what? I know this person. Let me introduce you. And they were great. They were really, really great. And I highly suggest getting your support system together. And if you don't have a biological family that supports you, get your drag family that supports you. If you don't have a drag family that supports you, you know, make a drag family Absolutely. that supports you. Family's where you find it. Absolutely. So, you know, it's one of those things. And if somebody doesn't support you and they're they're constantly pulling you down, you need to really examine how important that person is to your reign. If you are hinging everything on this person and they're being negative and they're really pulling you down, you need to, I hate to say it, but take them out of the equation. It doesn't mean don't be friends with them. It doesn't mean... You got to kick them out. Absolutely. It just means you can't make them part of 
your rain support system. Right. Because it's raining nationally is way too, even on the state level or on any level holding a title, it is way too hard to try to do with somebody. You don't need an anchor. You need you need a, a life vest. Absolutely. I agree 100%. That goes for any kind of pageant people, any of them. Absolutely. You talked about how you had to learn how to deal with promoters and whatnot. Mm -hmm. With those experiences, do you have any significant advice you can give to someone who may want to become a promoter? You know, that's wonderful. I love promoters. I'm not going to lie. They are the backbone of pageantry. Absolutely. can't have pageantry without contestants and you can't have pageantry without promoters. And God love these promoters because they give their heart, souls, and wallets Absolutely. to silly people that dress up and pretend for <laughs> for a few minutes, and then they want all this money. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, that's what it boils down to. Really, it does. They need to pretend to be somebody else, and now give me a check. Absolutely. <laughs> My favorite kind of work. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so I would say somebody wants to be a promoter, make sure that you're completely passionate about what you're doing, mm-hmm. but also have a financial plan in place that doesn't hurt you. Too many times I see promoters get overextended and then people get resentful when they can't fulfill everything that they want to fulfill. I understand that their hearts are in the right place. Absolutely. God love you. You want to give us the world, but don't hurt yourself in the process. Same thing I always tell my contestants too. If you're spending every last dime that you have and it's contingent on you winning, then you may may want to wait until it doesn't hurt if you don't win. Same way with promoters. It should be a fun hobby, not something that you're mortgaging a third time on your house to make happen. Right. Because we want you to promote for many years. We we don't want you to be a one-and-done promoter. We want to make you part of the family and be able also to to count on you to, to establish a legacy within your state or city or whatever kind of freelance you're going to be doing. Right. And... I think that that's probably the best thing I can tell a promoter. The other thing I can tell a promoter is have an open mind and an open heart when it comes to your contestants. Whoever wins your prelim, they may not have been your favorite. Not at the time, but the judges saw something in them that make them chose to be a winner for you. And then throw your entire heart behind them. I know my poor promoters from Missouri, I drove them crazy. Because I didn't tell them anything I was doing for nationals. And they'll tell you this. They would tell you, and I love them. And I told them, I said, I love you guys. I don't need a lot of help. I know what I want to do. And honestly, I don't need to be micromanaged. If I need anything, I'll ask you. If you know, if I have a problem, I'll come to you. Check in with me. But I don't need you to hold my hand. And they, God love them, were so helpful and so supportive and so good with that. But they're also excellent promoters. But they'll tell you that I was incredibly difficult to work with because I didn't need them for anything. They just sat around, twiddled their thumbs, and handed me a check. And they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, it's a secret. I'm not telling you. <laughs> Val and Victoria does not have that. They refuse no. to, They refuse that. <laughs> they're going that's, to get involved one thing. way or another. <laughs> oh, and that's fine. Uh, the thing is also, I was also distant from my promoters. I was in Ohio, they're in Missouri. Right. Now, if I needed them to help me sew in a gown, I wasn't going to drive to Missouri. And one of those creative types where I didn't want to worry them right. with what I was doing. Because <laughs> they were going to be like, opera, nobody's ever sung opera and done anything. So I didn't want to tell them. I mean, it's perfectly valid. 
I, I didn't want to worry on them. I'm like, I've got this. Don't worry. If you want to check in on me, yes, I've got my gown done. Here's a picture. Yes, I've got this done. Here's a picture. But I'm not going to tell you exactly what I'm doing because, honestly, I was still editing up until probably three days before my national package. I was still editing my package. Why are so. drag performers the worst about getting stuff done last minute? <laughs> we really are well, some I of the worst people stuff. to do that. We are. We are. It's because we're creative types. It really and is. And honestly, my stuff was done, but I'm, like I said, I'm very highly critical of myself, and I am one of those people that if something is not working and I can't get it to work, I will cut it. And I will tell you, for my national package I had, it's still in my sunroom in my house, I had spent nearly $600 on a, what they call a, um, a chameleon scrim that I was going to shine light behind. And the dancers were going to be silhouettes behind this scrim. And it was fabulous. And I spent so much freaking money on it. Couldn't get it set up in the time that was allotted for setup. Oh, no. Yeah, those times are pretty strict. I was practice it, practice it. Mm-hmm. US of A is very strict on very. time. And I had practiced it multiple times at home. I finally told my team, I said, we're cutting this. And they're like, but you spent so much money and it's non-refundable. And I said, that's fine. I said, we we cannot do this. I'm not going to get disqualified or points taken off because I can't get a stupid scrum set up. And it hurt. 600 bucks out of my package. This was a big piece of my talent, and I cut it. But it turns out I didn't need it. Hey, you didn't need it. You didn't need it. No sense enforcing something that's not needed. Exactly. I'll make a dress out of it someday. Uh, A dress? (laughs) Yes, because it's a big piece of fabric. Oh, it's a yeah, huge that's piece right. of fabric that's designed, it's so cool because it's designed to stand up and you shine light behind it and people can like reappear and disappear at the stage. If they use it, it's like a professional stage thing. If you don't put LED lights behind this when you make it that's, into a dress. That's exactly what I was thinking. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was good, do. good. <laughs> We're on the same page about this then. It needs to happen. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I don't care what you do with it after you make it. Just do it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What was that one critique Mm -hmm. that you received from any judge that pushed yourself to be better? You know what? I had a judge. It was very Mm -hmm. early in my drag pageanting. And I think it was for Platinum Gym City. Because that was like my first real pageant after my first USA. I had a judge come to me and tell me to not apologize for my size on stage. If you know me at all, and I, I'm right. very much into body positivity, but I also am very conscious and aware and self-conscious about my size. When I was running for US of A the second time, a lot of people didn't know, but I had a blood disorder that I had been under treatment for. I didn't really tell anybody, but I had been under treatment for it and part of the treatment was steroids and at that point mm-hmm. I had blown up like huge I had moon face you look at the pictures they were the crowning pictures are very hard for me to look at sometimes because I had like moon face I had like the hump on my back I had blown up I gained about almost 40 pounds in three weeks before mm-hmm. the competition nothing I could do about it this is side effect of steroids I was on a massive amount and my doctors didn't want me to compete they were like, this is ridiculous. And I went, oh, it's fine. I have Saturday free. I'm going to be there anyway. It's fine. So <laughs> that's what I am. The judge at the time, because I was still, was early on steroids at that point, but I had I've been, you know, heavy. 
and always have been, told me to not apologize for being a big girl on stage and that that just gave me more landscape to work with. And once I changed my mindset, I was able to really, really do a lot better with my gown modeling, with evening gown, because I was always afraid of evening gown because that's a beauty category. And I don't consider myself like a beauty queen. I'm more of an mm. interview talent type person. And evening gown was just like, let's just get through this. And once I kind of embraced the fact that, yeah, I'm bigger than the other girls. Okay. Absolutely. That just means there's more to look at. There's more to enjoy. And once I kind of embraced that, I began to enjoy the category more. And then that really, really came in handy because when EOY Femmes came along, <laughs> they added a swimsuit category. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which was delightful. I remember when that happened because people were like, <laughs> I was like, what? Swimsuit? <laughs> yeah, creative swimsuit. That was very exciting to try to prepare for and, and get my mind right for because the last thing I wanted to do was be parading around in a swimsuit in front of a couple hundred people and be critiqued. I don't even like swimsuit. To me, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> it was very hard. It was very hard for me to wrap my brain around it, but thanks to a, a good friend of mine, Christina Kelly, if you know her, she helped me a lot with coming up with a concept for my swimwear for EOY, and I actually ended up yes. doing very well in the category, which was shocking to me. It's always that one category that just throws you, and you really do surprise yourself. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah, that ended up being a great category for me. Right. It'll take a while to find that one category. You know, mm -hmm. you find that right for a category that you struggle with. And then once you do yeah. it, it's done and you love it. So, hey. Yeah, absolutely. What is your favorite memory while you were reigning with either system? Any embarrassing moments, funny stories oh you'd like okay. to share? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, okay, well, let me give you my favorite memory first, and then I'll give you embarrassing moments. How's that? Because those are two different things for me. Um, I would say my favorite memory would be from my step-down, mm -hmm. one of the prelim nights from my step-down. Lawanda Jackson and Tommy Ross were both on the judging panel, and I love them so much. Oh, 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 wait, what? Yeah, they were on my judging panel for my step-down. Y'all were mean to those girls. <laughs> Oh, not at all. They, you know what? It's about learning. Very that. They are delightful. And they had me, I was performing one of my songs at the end of the night. It was the end of one of those prelim nights. Almost everyone was gone. And the club was empty. But I was performing When We Were Young by Adele. Mm -hmm. And it was my crown number. And I was performing it. And Tommy and LaWanda pounded the tables and screamed and yelled. And I ended up doing it again just back-to-back -back as a double because they wouldn't stop cheering. And they brought the lights up in the club. The club was closed. <laughs> but Tommy, LaWanda, and a couple of other people were still there, and they were still tipping. And there's a great picture, if you go back on my Facebook, of LaWanda and Tommy and um, a few other people. I think mm -hmm. Sam was in that, one of the promoters. They were all lined up, and they're tipping me, and I'm performing just to them. Wow. The entire club is, everybody else is gone. And... It was just one of those moments where I just got to do what I wanted to do, and it was for them, and it was a gift for them, and they gave me the gift of their love, and 
attention. So it probably was one of my favorite drag memories of all time. And somebody had snapped a picture, and it, it was it was great. It's under my cover. Yes, photo. I will definitely so do that. My cover photo. That's everything. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's my favorite. Oh, I still I still get teary thinking about it. Another one of my favorite memories was also with Lawanda the year that I competed in one. And you can mm-hmm. ask her about that if you ever get a chance to talk to her. But she had just had her stroke. She had uh, just gotten back to where she could like, you know, move around and talk and stuff. And I sang um, when I sang my Madame Butterfly talent. I ended up getting a standing ovation. And. I look over, and I didn't really know who LaWanda Jackson was at, the, at that moment. Right. But I knew she was important, <laughs> but I didn't really understand who she was. But I see this, this woman rising slowly by the edge of the stage and clapping for me. And I looked right at her, and I thanked her with my eyes, and I walked off stage. Well, she came to me after I was crowned and told me that that was the first that she had stood up unaided since her stroke. Aww. I know. I still get, like, all teary and everything. She tears up whenever we talk about it. I love LaWanda. Yeah. So she and I have a very special connection and bond. Yeah. Oh, my God. She is one of my favorite mentors yeah, of all time. Yeah, she's sickening. I love her. She, she's she's the one that coached me for interview. If it wasn't for her. Oh, yeah. I don't think my, my third year at Newcomer would have been as great as it was. Oh, yeah. She's brilliant. She is absolutely brilliant for interview coaching. I highly recommend her for every bit of interview coaching. And she is worth every cent. Promise. You told me the favorite memories. I need the tea now. I want to know the embarrassing stuff. <laughs> oh, my embarrassing stuff. Um, oh, okay. Here's a good one. At the Oklahoma prelims. <laughs> um, so the, oh, God. It's awful. So I believe, I can't remember the name of the club that it was at. It was that this prelim was at. Mm-hmm. It was in Oklahoma City, and, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the club right now. I keep wanting to say the Majestic, but that's, that's Tulsa. not it. <laughs> but, yeah, that's Tulsa. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they all blur together. But this particular um, this particular club, the dressing room was really far from the actual performance. Oh. Triangle? Maybe it was Triangle. I'm not sure. Anyway, very far. I'm talking, like, way down the way. I'm changing as fast as I mm-hmm. can because we had, it, this is not even a prelim that was like one of my prelims. I was judging. Oh. Yeah, I was judging this particular prelim. This was a prelim for, uh, I want to say Miss. It was Miss Oklahoma. Yeah. That's a, it wasn't yeah, the it was Havana, the, it was, was it? The Havana. Yeah. Yeah, it was at the Havana. I was just yeah, thinking about yeah, that. I was like, That's oh, what okay. It was. My apologies. Yes, it was at the Havana. So, you know how the club is and then they had like, they have the, the club dance room and then they have like, this long corridor, mm-hmm. and then the dressing rooms were where we were using the dressing rooms way down the way. So I got done judging. I dashed down to change my outfit to perform. Um, I'm changing as fast as I can. I start walking. I don't have my shoes on. Again, I have big feet. They hurt. So I was going to put my shoes on just before I got on stage, uh-huh. right down into that little area. I'm about probably like. I don't know, not even a quarter of the way back to getting, and I hear them announce my name oh, no. as the next entertainer. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I take off running. I don't have my shoes on. I'm putting on my, I'm gluing my earrings on as I'm running. My hair is barely pinned in. 
I am running down. And so I literally get there and I hear my music start. I'm not in the club yet. Oh, no. Now, I've never been late to be on stage. So I literally, thank God I had a tiny bit of introduction and I am wearing a long dress. I never even got my shoes on. I threw my shoes to the side to, at some poor king <laughs> standing there. Thank God. I said, like, pull these. And I ran out and I performed my whole song. And I had no shoes on. Did they notice? <laughs> I think one person asked why I had bare feet. But it was a Florence and the Machine song. Oh, well, so then that's, you're fine. It's Florence <laughs> and the Machine. If you were, if you were wearing shoes during a Florence and the Machine number you're not doing that so not, that i have right. never i had never been able to get i've never been that close to missing my number than i had been there i think somebody had like dropped or something and i just didn't realize it and so that's why the turnaround uh, for getting yeah. dressed was so was so they were like they cut their number i'll do that but yeah that was kind of embarrassing because I'm supposed to be this, you know, powerful title holder who's all put together and I can't even get my shoes on before I get on the stage. That's funny. So. <laughs> but it happens to everybody. I'm luckily skilled at running in shoes, so hopefully I'll never have to go down that road again. Oh, not me. Girl, I can't run in shoes. And the thing is, when I get to running in heels, I get real nervous. My knees start to buckle and I just I, I just fall down. I'm a big fall <laughs> of mess. Like I said, we still love you anyway. I gotta be poised. <laughs> Thank you. A lot of people know that title holders travel a lot mm-hmm. with all their drag. Oh, yeah. What did you learn about traveling with your drag? Oh, number one tip, separate your jewelry out. Oh, yeah. Because if you leave it in one big clump, when they scan your jewelry, they think you have a bomb. Oh. Because it scans all as one big lump of metal, and then you have to unpack everything. I tell you, I had more like full asides during TSA where they had to go through all my stuff and I had to repack mm, it mm, mm. than because I was carrying it because it would make my bag overweight if I checked right. it. So, and I didn't want it to break either. So I'm traveling with this. You saw the USA oh, yeah. crown. It's like a weapon. It can't be and used so as a weapon. <laughs> sharp. Yes. That thing, I've cut myself on that thing more times than I can count. So, you know, you have this crown, and I was like, oh, I'm smart. I'll put all my jewelry in the middle of it, and it'll be great. Well, when you scan it, it's all one big solid mass of mm-hmm. metal. And then when they ask you what it is, you're like, it's a crown. <laughs> <laughs> they and they want you to you. take it out. And, of course, my – exactly. I have to take it all out, unpack it, show it all. So I learned very quickly that I needed to, like, space my jewelry out so that when it scans, it looks like jewelry. And I will tell you, my tacky ass carried my crown around in an Ikea cooler. Yes. So, <laughs> I didn't have, like, this fancy box that most tweens had. Um, I carried mine around in a very, sounds very lesbian, um, Ikea cooler that was plaid. I remember I used to, <laughs> when cool. I was Miss Kate Fort Smith Pride, I would carry my crown in a box, in a cardboard box. Yep. And I, I would, I would, yep. after I took it off, I would wrap a, uh, a plastic bag on it so it didn't scratch the little stones that it had on it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm fully aware of That's what you gotta using do. Un, unusual things to carry your crown, yep. especially when you're traveling with it. Oh, absolutely. And like what I also re- recommend is carry, you know, have a couple of really good shake and go wigs oh, yeah. that you can combine in different ways. Instead of trying to carry a whole bunch of wigs on heads mm-hmm. and things like that. 
make your drag as easy on you as possible when you're traveling. Punch it up with accessories and, like, outfits that cute cover-up that you can also use as a reveal, you know, a bodysuit that you can add a spurt to and make into a gown for a walk-around, things like that. You you learn to pack really light. And honestly, my real girl stuff could have fit in a Ziploc bag compared to my drag. Also, fly Southwest (laughs) because they give you two free bags. Oh, oh, that's (laughs) smart. Yeah. Yeah. Keep that in mind. I don't want no American Airlines. They charge for everything. (laughs) New. Southwest is great because they give you two free bags. And most promoters, when when they're flying you in, will give you your choice of airline. And if you can fly Southwest as possible, that saves you a ton of money. And it'll save your promoter money, too. Oh, yeah. They'll let you use your rewards number when you're booking your flight. So you can earn rewards, too. Oh, yeah. Smart. Keep that in mind. See, I've never flown, so I wouldn't have known any of that oh southwest is banging for drag i will say they're they're really nice those two free bags come in very handy. oh i'm sure because i'm i'm a makeup horde i take my makeup everywhere oh <laughs> oh that's the thing though you gotta pare it down oh my gosh <laughs> gonna kill me <laughs> i'm telling you i had um a couple of different queens laugh at me all the time because i didn't carry a specific makeup bag i was i'm so arkansas nothing wrong with that but it's, I carried all my stuff in a big old Ziploc bag because I didn't want to waste yep. space with a cute makeup bag. Yep, been so there. So I put everything in a Ziploc, and I had one, I have, and I still to this day do this, um, one palette that's magnetized, and so I put in the different pans, and oh, yeah. so I put all the pans of my face that I'm going to have in there so I'm not carrying a whole bunch of palettes either. Me and other uh, entertainers, we're palette people. Because we can't plan our face yes. around what we're wearing that day because we don't know what we're going to wear and we don't know what our face is going to look like. Oh, you got to plan. That's the thing. When you travel, at least when I traveled, I had I knew what numbers I was going to do. I sent them to the DJs ahead of time so that if they needed to compile them into one long show track, they could and they could also compare it to what else was being performed that night. And then I knew what outfit went with what number. I knew before I stepped off that plane because sometimes I had to paint myself in the car because my flight was delayed or something, and I had to be able to get up and drag real fast. Right. Because I'm never going to let them hold a show just for me. That's going to be my downfall. (laughs) That's definitely going to be my downfall if I ever do become a national title holder. I just, it just does not register in my mind. Don't take that much makeup. (laughs) Oh, you'll learn after your first time. You'll be like, oh. Bella was right. Oh, yeah. It's probably going to take me doing the first run through of actually like, going on a plane. Like I said, I've never flown. So it's going to take that one time, that one time to get me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All it's going to take you one lesson, one lesson. And you'll be like, oh, never mind. And, and that's <laughs> going to be the, that, that's going to be that one lesson I'm going to cherish forever. And I'm yep. like, I should have listened to Bella, <laughs> I to told you Decadence, so. <laughs> and Taylor Mattis Monroe. They told you so, Alora. You should have listened the first time. <laughs> Hence why I have this podcast. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm just saying, you know, it's wonderful to have options, but when you're traveling, just make sure you're a pretty powerful editor because you're going to have a lot less time than you think you're going to. Sameless promotion for someone. La Femme Cosmetics. Yeah. They're the best when it comes to like good cosmetics for entertainers. Yes. And they have a palette that you take whatever colors you want. You buy all the colors and you just put it in this magnetized 
palette and it's lovely. That's exactly what I use. Because when push comes to shove, if you have that palette, you're golden. Yep. That's exactly it. The three colors that any entertainer needs, male, female, drag queen, drag king, black, brown, and red, done. Yep. <laughs> Those are the three must-have colors. Mm-hmm. And a good white. Oh, yeah. Black, white, red, and brown. So four. Yep. yep. Those are the four colors. You can That's pretty a much whole do right everything. There. You can do everything yep. you can. You can do your eyebrows, your lids. Mm-hmm. You can do your contour. I mean, if you're having a hard day <laughs> and you've got nothing else. That's what. That's exactly what my palette is. Do a really whole funny. powder face. Even though yeah. I'm not the biggest on powders, mm-hmm. when it comes to like eyebrows and whatnot, I can do a powder face. Absolutely. I'm not above it, especially if I'm in a hurry. Mm-hmm. So you've done all the prelims. You said you had yeah. what? Sixteen prelims. Yeah, we had like fifteen or sixteen prelims at the end of it. Yep. Which is amazing, regardless. <laughs> yeah, it was an incredible experience. So you've had your prelims, you've done your preliminary nights at nationals, you're doing your final performance as Miss US of A Diva. Yes. What are you feeling in that significant moment? Honestly, tired. (laughs) 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 You never want it to end. Right. But then you want it to end. You're ready. You know when you're ready. And I and I didn't think that I talked to, you know, Danielle and these other title holders. And they always, they always say, you know, you don't want it to end and then you're ready. You're ready to put down the crown. It's heavy. And you're ready to see the next girl or, or queen or diva or, or king take it to the next level. And you right. know that you did your best. You gave your all. And you know when you're ready. And I was ready. I was so proud of all my contestants. They put on the most sickening pageant. It was fierce. That year, the competition was, I was glad I didn't have to compete. I'm glad I already won. Right. <laughs> it was, they stepped it up beyond any measure. And I was so proud of each and every one of them. In that moment, I was so proud, but I was also so ready to take that crown off and be right. just a regular person for the 30 seconds it took before I ran for EOY two months later. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm stupid. I had that night free. I decided to run. <laughs> but yeah, it was. I was very, very tired, but ready and proud. And I always tell people planning your step down is like planning your funeral while you're still alive. Oh, my God. Don't tell me that. Not in a bad way. It's just the way it is. Everybody's ready for you to move on. (laughs) Especially. That's such a rude way to look at it. (laughs) (laughs) That's just me. That's me. I'm, I'm, I'm a little morbid. But, you know, it's the thing. And you, you, you start out your, your step down like, I don't want to go. And by the final number, you're like, I'm ready to leave. Take this <laughs> hat and shove it. Um, <laughs> because you, you're giving everything. You're giving all right. of yourself to your step down and to your, your contestants. And you gave your entire year of your life to the system. And you're going to continue giving your life to the system with assisting and helping the next title holder so right. you know that's just that's just what it's all about and you know that it's time for you to join the family of formers and you know why everybody looks so tired at the end <laughs> absolutely yeah absolutely i just want to hear you say it who did you crown mm, i crowned victoria rios yes can i tell that you a victoria story because i'm gonna yes kid. please I do tell this story all the time and she always shakes her head and she's She'll tell you that she passed this on to other people. 
so during the meeting uh, that we have with all of our contestants, you know, when everybody mm-hmm. gathers, yep. I stood up, I gave them some advice and things. And one of the last things I said was, ladies, when it comes to crowning, I'm begging you, please, 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 for the love of God and everything else that you believe in, wear some damn fake hair. Do not use your natural hair at crowning. This crown hurts, and I don't want to hurt anybody. Okay? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem, we're going to do that, yeah, yeah. All right, fast forward to final night. Victoria Rios is uh, announced. Guess what that silly, wonderful girl did? Not a goddamn wig on her head. Not a <laughs> lick of synthetic hair on her head. I looked at her little bun, and I looked oh, at her, and no. I said, I, and I whispered to her, I said, this is going to hurt. I'm really sorry. Because that crown by itself is nearly three pounds. Oh, yeah. And, well, she and learned her lesson. Yeah. And she was like, I'll be fine. And then by the time we got done pinning that thing in, she's like, I am not fine. I am not <laughs> fine. And now she, I, I you she'll tried tell to you, tell her. she wears she wears fake hair now though. That taught her a little oh, butt yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> she'll so, even tell you during her reign, she started getting real numb yeah. on like the crown of her head. Yeah, where the I still have wig was set. Yeah, yep. she's she's st- that one little area refuses to grow hair. And it's not yep. noticeable unless she, like, you know, points it out. Yep. And she said, it's still numb, still can't grow hair there. She, yep. She's she got that one little itty-bitty permanent bald spot. Yep, that's what I have, too. You can always tell us title holders. We've got, like, three little spots on our head. That's where we pinned everything. So, and I, the other thing I did was I showed her how to bend these. This is what I try to do for all the title holders that came after me. Is mm-hmm. I, There's a certain way that a this queen in Arizona showed me, I think her name's Amy Justice, she pulled me aside after my first prelim in Arizona and showed me a different way of bending these bob pins, the the, the real mm-hmm. long ones, they're the roller yeah. pins. She bends them in such a way that you're able to like pin them into your hair with the crown so that it oh. doesn't hurt. And so um, I started doing that and then I pulled Victoria's side after I crowned her and I showed her how to bend the pins and I'm hoping that other people do that ever since. So if if I didn't leave any other legacy to the, the STEM and Diva community, it's how to bend bob pins <laughs> yes. shape and so you can get that dang crown to stay. Well, have to teach me how to do that one day. I'll show it to you. You've said it before. You are mm-hmm. also a former Miss EOY Fem. Yes, I am. EOY is probably one of my favorite systems Aww. of all time. What are the biggest differences between the two systems as far as competition goes? Well, one, EOY Sam no longer exists, unfortunately. Sadly. Um, Not bitter. (laughs) But I will say at the time. I am. (laughs) Yeah, I am bitter. (laughs) (laughs) It is very sad. um, But unfortunately, due to circumstances beyond anybody's control, it it no longer exists. Right. However, the big differences in competing for EOI is much more about creativity, whereas mm-hmm. I would say US of A, the, the big thing overall is to be as clean as possible. US of A is about not making mistakes. Right. And the EOI is about taking risks, if that makes sense. Uh, it absolutely does. 100% makes Wonderful. sense. Wonderful. Yes. 
And I would also say that the biggest difference between reigning for EOI and reigning for US of A is US of A is extremely structured. They tell you what to do, where to go, how to do it, mm-hmm. this is what we need to do, these are your goals, everything. EOI is the exact opposite. It is here is your crown, here is your check, your reign is what you make of it. Oh. Do what you want, and we'll check in with you at the end of the year. Wow. That's that's completely yeah, you different. Could, you could, it's completely different. I want to ask this question anyway. Sure. You know the big four, right? Mm-hmm. The big four pageantry. It's America, yeah. US of A, Continental, EOI. Well, now it's the big five because I would consider. Yeah, All American Goddess. Yeah, because that's a whole different ballgame in itself. Mm, I love All American Goddess. Oh, okay. And Go ahead. So you've actually won, as far as fin pageantry goes, two of the big five. Yeah. You've won US of A yeah. and you've won EOI. Yep. Yeah. What was your experience like reigning for EOI Femme? I loved it. I had a great time. I had a great court, made great friends. Gabby, Alexandria, Gabrielle Sherrington mm-hmm. was my queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and bonding with her was incredible. She's an amazing person. Rolly Villaverde was great. Um, Preston Dickerson was my king. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a great court. Like, we did a lot of things together, um, worked really well with the promoters. I actually ended up getting to go and do, I opened up a couple of prelims for EOI FEM at the time, but got to go to a whole bunch of different places and had some great contestants. I will say that I had an incredible experience reigning for EOI. It was very freeing, but I had the structure of US of A behind me. Right. Like, I had that experience. If I hadn't had that experience, I don't think that my EOI experience would have been as successful interesting okay yeah because i came into eoy with the us of a mindset so i went right away into networking with right. the promoters the existing promoters and they were like who are you <laughs> why are you trying to sell us prelims i'm like Cause that's what i do <laughs> so i just learned how to be a lot more laid back through eoy mm-hmm. it's still a business but it's not nearly as rigid or structured so i guess what you said in the beginning it is what you make of it absolutely interesting i didn't know that about eoi Hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and and you know it's not well known people will look at a title and go oh well they didn't do anything look that's not it it's not that they didn't do anything they chose to make a different focus for their reign than maybe others right interesting who did you crown miss eoi fm 2017 i Cass Marie. She was the first trans contestant that we had ever had for EOI. Oh, yeah, that's right. And she did um, an incredible job reigning for EOI. And I was very, very proud of her. Yes, I, I love and, her. Yes. She's everything. Mm-hmm. I actually got yes, to meet her at Austin International Drag Festival in Austin, Texas. And oh, yeah, she's, she's incredible. Simply amazing. Love her. Yeah. Love her beautiful soul, beautiful oh, spirit. Yeah. She is was very open. I worked with her a lot while she was reigning and helped her kind of guide her reign a little bit. She did an incredible job. And I was so honored to crown the first trans contestant for EOI right. or EOI Femme. Some can consider it controversial. I found it a huge step in diversity. Oh, absolutely. Because my biggest thing is eventually I would love, and this is just my little dream, I would love to compete with drag queens and not 
have my genitalia determine what division I have to be in. And I love that. I love that. I've always said I would love to compete up against femme queens. Yeah, exactly. You don't need to check our pants. To me, there's not really (laughs) even a difference between, say, what I do and what you do. There's really not. Exactly. I've got a, I've got male genitalia. You got female genitalia. Other than that, there's literally exactly. no difference. We put our tights on exactly. one leg at a time, mm-hmm. and exactly. my boobs come off. And that's and that's exact. I think that that was a huge step towards that. We're still away from from excuse me in drag pageantry. I will say I am currently holding a title, a bar title, mm-hmm. that I am their first femme winner. Yeah, I competed against drag queens. I, so, I I saw um, I remember yes Miss well Miss I'm uh, Miss MJ's um, 2020 I am the queen of the apocalypse because we literally had to <laughs> shut down that night yeah I have not been back since yep <laughs> I remember <laughs> that bar opened it up to some entertainers and honestly that was a competition and nobody can say that I didn't deserve it because I competed the year before and lost against drag queens very tough competition but this year I came back and won it that's my goal is to kind of you know blur those lines and erase those mm-hmm. lines and it began with letting trans entertainers compete in the division of their presentation their their choice of presentation and I think we can move forward into the future with drag pageantry absolutely that, so. I agree 100% absolutely my final question for you today yeah. is what is some advice? I know you've already given some advice, but what is some more advice for any contestant who wants to compete in the future? Oh, you know, I think the best advice would be don't be afraid to have a plan, but also don't be afraid to edit. Like, come up with grand ideas, right? That's great. Right. But then come up with a structure that will support it. And if something isn't working, don't be afraid to cut it. I will tell you, I'm not going to say who it is, but I, there was a, an incredible, incredibly wonderful contestant that I had that competed the year that I reigned, mm-hmm. and she competed for my step down. And I know that she was struggling with editing stuff out of her talent. And she and I talked about it, and I suggested that she edit things because there were things that were not working in rehearsal. Right. Just consistently not working, never worked. She continued to do it, and it blew up in her face at Nationals in the worst way. And it broke my heart because this particular person is so talented and so incredibly deserving of doing well. And it it kind of broke her, you know, and I hated seeing that happen. I hated seeing that happen. But she didn't want to let go of elements because she had worked so hard. And I don't blame her. She had worked so hard on these particular elements of her talent, and they didn't work. I would say to anybody competing, if you're doing something in rehearsal and it is not working, it's not going to work at nationals. There's not going to be some miracle that's going to happen. And if it never worked out in rehearsal, but it'll suddenly work out in nationals, that's too much of a chance. Right. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but US of A especially is about cleanliness and not making mistakes. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe your talent isn't going to be as exciting, but if you cut out something, they can't judge what they can't see. Yep, absolutely. But they'll judge you if you fall. <laughs> exactly. And they'll judge you if you have 50 dancers on the stage and one of them messes up yep. all the time. Yep. You know, get rid of it. US of A judges see everything. Yes. I have judged for US of A. I've judged for EOI, All American Goddess, America. I judged on the state level for America. We, as judges, are always looking 
we, we're going to go ahead and hold you to a standard right. that assumes that you're good and you're professional and you're competent. Now show us, you know, how clean you can be, how right. you know, precise. The other piece of advice, because I'm long-winded and I like to give advice, <laughs> is that read your handbook. Learn who your judges are. Yes, please do. Uh. Read your handbook. Please don't come back after the competition and say, well, I didn't know that I couldn't do this. Or I didn't know that I should have done that. Read your dang handbook. See, especially for nationals. Yep. It's one thing, because, you know, not a lot of preliminaries have a book. Right. That's just typical within any system. Mm -hmm. More than likely, you can just go by what the national guidelines say. Right. From the previous year. Right. Unless they changed it and didn't tell nobody. Which I don't ever see that happening. But yes, please, please, mm -hmm. please read your books. Read your book. Understand the rules. Those rules are important. If you don't understand them, ask about them. Yep. Ask questions. And that brings me to my third and final piece of advice. Reach out to the formers of the division that you are competing for. Absolutely. You are not bothering us. Mm -mm. I cannot tell you how many people have told me, well, I would have asked you, but I thought I'd be bothering you. Girl, I sit around and I've got Facebook open and nobody talks to me because they're scared to death. We are not scary people. We are not, for the most part, mean people. I joke all the time about being mean, but I'm actually not really mean. I'm honest. So please, please, please reach out to the formers of the division that you want to compete in because we are the ones who will be able to tell you if this is a good idea or if it's not. Now, remember, it's all our opinion. You know, nothing we tell you is going to be definitive. You will win if you do this. However, we've gone through it. And so we can tell you, hey, maybe using flash paper is not a good idea because it says in the handbook you can't use fire. Or maybe you shouldn't, you know, spray water around even though you have a tarp. You don't want to take the chance that somebody's going to go, well, it says to use no liquids. Absolutely. Even if you clean it up. Use your formers. Utilize your formers. Right. That is so. very sound advice. That, yeah. There you go. I'm full of it. There's some girls <laughs> who don't want to listen. And I and I will admit to being one of those girls when I first started out did not want to listen. It's okay. And it's okay. You don't have to listen. And you'll find out we're right after a while. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I learned my lesson for the first time around. I didn't need to go through it a second time. <laughs> so it's been an absolute joy to listen oh, to please. you and talk to you. Anytime. This concludes... The interview portion of the competition. Oh, did I win? I always score good in the interview. Well, at National Tea Time, Alora <laughs> O'Shaughnessy always wins. <laughs> oh, I love it. I am your host, Miss Alora O'Shaughnessy. This has been National Tea Time. 